You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, today we are going to be talking about firearm safety, and I want to take a second to explain how this topic came about. But you know, DNB sells firearms in many of their stores, and I think it's in the best interest of everybody to get reminded about firearm safety from time to time. Now, this isn't coming upon us because, of course, we don't want to hurt anybody or ourselves on accident, and especially our children. And we want to go out and we want to enjoy the use of firearms, uh, both in hunting and then have them in our homes uh, on occasion as a personal choice for self-defense and things like that. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to have an accident that adds fuel to the fire for those who would not want us to be able to possess firearms. And so it's incumbent upon all of us as gun owners and people who use guns for hunting or self-defense or whatever it may be, to be as safe with those as possible for so many very good reasons. So when this episode came up, I thought, who could we have on the show? And I was fortunate enough to get two great guests to come on. So we are going to have two experts on today. Our first guest has a very poignant story and reminder for us about firearm safety while hunting, and it's going to be Greg Wooten, who is the Bureau Chief for the law enforcement side of the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. And then our second guest is somebody that I worked with when I was a police officer at the Boise Police Department for 12 years, and his name is Greg Oster. He is a lieutenant over the training division and served many, many years on the SWAT team and has done a ton of training uh, with me not left out of that. He trained me a lot while I was at that department. So we've got some really good information for you both on taking firearms into the field, teaching your kids how to hunt, how to carry firearms, and be safe with them. And in addition, the other side of things, if you do keep a firearm in the house or even if you carry a firearm for your own personal protection or the protection of your family, ways that law enforcement looks at dealing with having a gun on you and being as safe as possible with that. So I hope you find this interview, uh, excuse me, I hope you find this episode very beneficial and hopefully it does some good for you and keeps us all enjoying firearms in the field without any unnecessary tragedies or anything going wrong. Well, joining me right now is Greg Wooten, the Enforcement Bureau Chief of the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. Greg, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be here. Well, thank you very much for joining me. And, you know, this is a really important topic and really looking forward to discussing it. And and we'll get into it in just a minute. I want to ask you, so how many years have you been serving with Idaho Fish and Game? 25 years. Oh, wow. So that's quite a career. Oh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And you've been teaching hunter safety and hunter's ed and firearm safety that whole time? Yes. Very good. Okay. Now, how often do you teach classes, or how often does Idaho Fishing Game put on classes to, to help people be safe with firearms? Well, so we're required by law to teach kids hunter education, and anyone who was going to purchase a hunting license is required to have hunter education, which includes firearm safety. And so it depends on where you are in the state. There's a lot of classes continuously here in the Treasure Valley just because of the population size. Mm-hmm. But I was on patrol for 16 years in Fairfield, and I could usually cover my bases just doing one full class a year. Okay. Yeah. So it's just going to vary based on population size. and Absolutely. Kind of... You put on a class, and if somebody needs to take it, hopefully they get in when you're when the getting's good. Right. Okay. 
Well, uh, you know, uh, what we're going to do today is talk to you about hunting and firearm safety with hunting. And, you know, with you, I understand there's a, a really poignant thing you went through in your life that really brings us home. Would you like to share that with us? Yeah, sure. I'm very passionate about firearm safety and handling of firearms. Uh, when I was young, only seven years old, my mother was killed in a firearms-related accident where the weapon discharged and fatally injured her, and so she died instantly. So I think, as with many things, accidents are centered around operator error. I think that's probably what occurred in this instance, and with a firearm, they're deadly weapons, Mm -hmm. and it only takes one instant, and a life can be taken. Yeah, wow, that's unbelievable. I mean... Obviously, it's believable, but it's just one of those things that you hear about, but you you never really you come close to touching. Well, I'm certain that makes you probably really, really passionate and really, really devoted to this cause then. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we jump in and we'll start talking about a few questions that I've got and, and you take it and run with it if, if other things come up. But my first question really for you is what should parents know about or what should they be doing when they're first introducing their kids to firearms, you know, maybe for that first time? Well, I think familiarity is one of the most important things. And I think that message should be stronger for parents who do not own firearms or don't intend to become a handler or owner of firearms, particularly in the state of Idaho, because regardless, at some point, your child is going to be in the presence of a firearm. Sure. And I think it's to everyone's best interest to familiarize them with how to handle a firearm and what that means and what they can do. Mm -hmm. Some folks, I think, don't do that because they just simply don't have firearms in their house and don't think about the potential of their kids being around a firearm when it's just a friend of theirs Mm -hmm. or they're at someone else's home where they are firearms owners. And so it's something new to them, so they may be interested. And so to me, I think just teaching awareness of firearms is very critical. So for somebody who doesn't keep firearms in the home, how would how do you suggest they go about teaching that? So Hunter Education is a very good program. So I would encourage parents to send their kids to Hunter Education, even if they don't think they're going to become a hunter. But... In addition to that, there are other courses, firearms safety-related courses that your kids can go into. And and these are for adults, too. Every hunter ed class that I teach, I have adults that are going through it as well. So, But 4-H has firearms programs. Mm -hmm. Many of your your clubs, such as 4-H, have firearms-oriented programs where you can learn about firearm safety. So that's a way as well. Okay. Well, on full disclosure, that's how you and I know each other. Correct. Our daughters are in 4-H together and... And gotten to know each other over the last few years. Well, very interesting. You know, and I want to explore your career there at Fishing Game just a little further. Have you held other positions outside of enforcement during your time with Fishing Game? Just temporary. Before I came full time, I worked on wildlife management areas with with habitat. So I was a biological aide. Spent a couple summers spraying weeds and working on accesses and helping with wildlife habitat. I did spend one summer on the Coeur d'Alene River drainage in the Panhandle working on the elk project up there, uh, collecting eco data. So I have done some outside of enforcement, but primarily I've been enforcement related. And 
on another note, I'm also a member of the U.S. military, actually just recently retired, but 32 years in the U.S. Army Reserve as a combat engineer. So, All right. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and jump into the firearm safety. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds, available at D&B Supply. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the top line balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by D&B Supply for top line balance from Neutrina. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. Well, let's jump back to the firearms and the safety really quick. So teaching awareness is very important. Now, you tell me if I'm on the right track, and, and I was a police officer for 15 years, so... I've had firearms in my life and mm-hmm. on an everyday basis for a lot of years. And so when my daughter got old enough, we definitely spoke with her about it. And she had seen guns quite a bit because I'd come home from work and I'd have a gun and, and that type of thing. And I'd lock it up. And one of the things I told her is if she's at a friend's house and she encounters a firearm, the first thing she needs to do is just tell everybody to get away from it. And then she needs to go straight to an adult. Stay away from it completely. Don't try and take it from anybody. I mean, what, but I, I've never really trained, I've never really taught classes or trained people. I don't know the best practices. That's what I told my daughter. Now, where did I go wrong in what I told her? And, and maybe what would be better advice for a kid when you're teaching that awareness? So I don't think you went wrong in your advice. Teaching them awareness is upfront is obviously a, a good thing. They're going to experience times when maybe there's not a lot of choice involved. Mm-hmm. And so they may not have a choice. Someone may be handling a firearm. And I think the key uh, around familiarizing kids with firearms is so that they can be aware. So I like your advice. I think that's the good advice. But they're going to have times when somebody's wielding a pistol or a rifle inadvertently and they are not going to be capable of stopping that from happening. Right. So the basic firearm safety everyone needs to know. And to treat number one, you have to treat every firearm as if it's loaded. Mm-hmm. So if they are watching someone and that individual that they're watching is not treating that firearm as if it is loaded, that is a huge red flag. And so your advice is exactly right. Go away from that individual who's wielding a firearm and treating it as though it is not loaded. That's a danger sign. Okay. So that's good advice that you gave. But so that upfront knowledge of, Every weapon should be treated as if it is loaded. You teach them how to do that. Then they can also be aware when they see someone who's not doing that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I told her to tell them to put it down or to stay away from it. I don't even know if that is taking too much time, if she should just be going directly to an adult and, and foregoing that. What do you think, from just from your professional experience? I mean, that's a tricky question. I think it's good advice. 
I just simply think that there are going to be many times where they're not going to be able to successfully accomplish that. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, as well as I do, kids will be kids. Right. And when one kid says, hey, that's a firearm, you shouldn't be handling that, you need to put it down. What are the chances of that individual actually doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. So he's going to go, okay, yeah, I'll put it down. Well, what are you afraid of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it goes from there. And so it's really important for them to just be aware. And I think it's very a good advice to if they see someone who is obviously treating a firearm inappropriately to go seek an adult or just yeah. go away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Find cover. Get somewhere where you know you're safe. Yeah. That's but that's a very difficult thing, especially for kids, because as a group, and with an, when a firearm enters that group think process with those kids, it's not normal. Or I think they're way reluctant to walk away from that because they don't want to show that they're afraid of it, mm-hmm. and they don't want to show that they're part of the crowd by being interested in that firearm and wanting to handle it. So it's that's why I think it comes back to it's very important that you teach them the basic firearm safety skills so that they are aware of that. Because So let's face it, most of our kids are not taught good firearm safety handling because toy guns. Mm-hmm. Toy guns are pointed at people and their finger is always on the trigger. Right. And so from whatever age they're introduced to a toy gun to the point where they get a real gun in their hand, their muscle memory and their mind has been trained that you put your finger on the trigger mm-hmm. and you point it at a person because they're playing cowboys or in Indians or it's just okay. Sure. So that's an acceptable behavior, but it's important parents understand that that's what we've trained them to do. And so when they pick up a firearm, their muscles already put the finger on the trigger mm-hmm. without even thinking about it. So you kind of have to train kids away from that thought process when you introduce them into a live firearm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up. I think back to all my training in my law enforcement career, and it was just repeated over and over and over again. You know, your finger is not on the trigger until you're ready to fire. And I can't even think back too prior to that. I don't know, because I hunted well prior to being a police officer all through my high school years and college years and things like that. And I can't even remember what I did before that. I assume I kept it off the trigger, right. uh, but I, I I can't remember prior to that training. But that training, just to let the whole listening audience know, whether it be fish and game or local law enforcement, that is the training that gets reinforced into our heads every single time we train, is that finger is not on the trigger until you're ready to fire, period. Correct. Well, Greg, this is great information, and I don't think this could probably be spoken about enough, but let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll continue uh, talking all about this and, and trying to make sure people are safe with their firearms. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat, panhandle western apparel, and rock and roll denim available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and Rock and Roll Denim at D&B. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. 
Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply. Well, I, I've got another question. It's kind of a follow-up question to that first exposure to firearms for kids. What precautions do you suggest that parents take the first time that they take their kids into the field to hunt with them? So not necessarily where the kids have a firearm. They're not, they're not hunting yet, but they're going into the field with mom or dad to hunt, and the parents have a firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what precautions do you suggest they take under those circumstances? So speaking to the kids? Speaking to them and then and then how they handle the firearms, when they load them, unload them, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff. Well, so there's a lot to that. You know, first and foremost, it's the adult's responsibility to lead by example. And so you went through the police academy. I did. They probably did commentary driving at the police academy. It's a conscious awareness as you're driving to speak to yourself, to make yourself aware, oh, there's a crosswalk and somebody's walking across. It's a very good technique also for parents to use out in the field to talk through that commentary weapons handling you know okay i'm taking the firearm out of the case the muzzle's pointed down Mm -hmm. you know just talk yourself through that so people are aware but that's a very awkward technique to use i think muzzle awareness is absolutely the most important thing that you can talk about before you go out into the field so in my hunter ed classes i like to teach kids that there's a laser pointer coming out the end of the barrel Mm -hmm. it's a laser pointer and that laser pointer should never cross a body part or go on to a person ever and if they use that philosophy that gets to the muzzle awareness so that where they are swinging that barrel if they consciously think okay there's a laser pointer going out and if it ever crosses a body part that's pointed in the wrong direction right it helps them consciously be aware of where that muzzle is and how to point it pistols are much more difficult because they're short mm-hmm. and the muzzles can go all over the place all the time. Even experienced shooters uh, have difficulty with proper muzzle control when they're around a group and they're handling a pistol just because of the length of it. I mean, the, literally the, the muzzle can go anywhere, but so treating every weapon as if it's loaded, that's, that's a good one. Keeping the finger off the trigger. That's another good one. Muzzle control is also one of those that people need to be aware of. So you should never point that at anything you're not willing to destroy. And there's no such thing as an unloaded firearm. Mm-hmm. Many accidents occur because people assume that the firearm was unloaded. Mm-hmm. And so if you just follow the first rule, treat every weapon as if it's loaded, you won't have that problem. One of my first occurrences with a accidental shooting as a game warden or conservation officer was over in Lava Hot Springs where a young boy had picked up a lever action 22 and he had opened the lever. You can see in the action and you can see the, the barrel and you can see that it's empty. Right. But there wasn't a conscious awareness, didn't have enough knowledge about the firearm to realize that there's a magazine in a lever action firearm. Mm-hmm. And when you close the lever, it's peeling a live round off the magazine or out of the magazine and putting it into the barrel. Right. So he looked in there, saw that the muzzle, saw that the barrel was empty. He said, oh, it's empty. There's no ammo. He closed the lever, aimed it right at his friend and pulled the trigger and it hit him right in the edge of the eye. Luckily, it did not go in. It went out, but it did travel all the way around and it did actually cause some pretty serious damage, lifelong damage. 
Really? So that was awareness. So again, that's violating that first rule, treat every weapon as if it's loaded, and it's violating another rule, don't point it at anything that you're not willing to destroy. Right. Yeah, and that's that's certainly something to talk about is is understanding how the the firearm works if it's an automatically repeating rifle, which that is each time that you eject the shell you're putting a new one in. And if you don't understand that, that becomes really dangerous. And along those same lines, you know, firearms in general, some handguns don't, but most firearms have a safety. What do you teach people about the safety? Obviously, you're going to want them to use the safety, but that is a I don't know what you would call it. Do you ever tell people to rely on the safety or trust the safety? Absolutely not. The Across the board, we teach that a safety is a mechanical device, and every mechanical device can fail. And that's exactly what we teach. So we, we never teach to rely on the safety. We always teach muzzle control and to treat the firearm as if it's loaded. So, for instance, my mother was carrying a Harrington Richardson Brake Action 410 doesn't have a safety Mm -hmm. you have to cock the hammer back to make it ready to fire and in order to make that weapon safe if you don't fire it you have to decock that hammer and there's literally no safety anywhere on the firearm so that's likely what happened the hammer was cocked and then when she went to cross the fence the trigger was caught by a piece of wire or clothing or something and it discharged when she was crossing the fence Hmm. so back to rule number one right right Treat every weapon as if it's loaded, and then never point it at anything that you're not willing to destroy. Now, that muzzle control can become very difficult. A friend of mine in the Army, when I was back in Kansas, was hunting with a buddy, and they're walking single file, which we do all the time, especially like duck hunters, because you're going through the mm-hmm. willows out to, or through the sagebrush. But anyway, it's common for people to walk kind of single file to get to a place where they're going. And they had to jump over a small ditch. Well, so my friend, his buddy was behind him. And when he jumped the ditch, who knows? The safety was probably off. I don't know. But mm-hmm. it did. It discharged. And it was aimed right at my friend's leg. And it shot him right in the knee. He lost his leg just above the knee. Mm-hmm. But so in those circumstances is where it becomes a lot more difficult to control the muzzle. Right. You're jumping a small mm-hmm. ditch. Uh, so there's lots of things you could do to prevent that, mm-hmm. like not jump the ditch unless it's unloaded. But let's face it, you know, we're all hunters. We're all out in the woods. If you unloaded your firearm every time you had to cross a log or jump a little gap, mm-hmm. all you'd be doing is unloading your firearm. So it's much more important to teach muzzle control and being safe and aware, not just simply unload sure. every time because it's just not practical. So what you're saying then, if I'm understanding you correctly, is when you come to an obstacle like that, you're not going to unload every time. It's not necessarily realistic, but you can remove the rifle. If you've got the rifle slung over your shoulder or something like that, you can remove it off your shoulder and you can take control of that weapon with your hands and make sure that while you're clearing that obstacle, you're controlling that muzzle direction where that muzzle's pointed. Absolutely. Okay. Now, how many times throughout your 25-year career have you investigated firearms accidents like this, like the one you described with the two young men? Well, so we, as fishing game conservation officers, we don't actually investigate those. We seem to get those calls or are familiar with them because of the activity in which they're doing. A lot of them occur while they're hunting. Okay. But your 
local sheriffs or police departments are the ones that actually do the investigations mm-hmm. on those, and we simply participate and help as as needed. Gotcha. Okay. So personally, I have not actually conducted <laughs> any of those investigations, right. but okay. I've helped console family members. I've helped with the investigation, try to determine what happened. But public safety falls literally in the sheriff's hands, and so mm-hmm. those deputies and sheriffs are ones who really take the role. Well, you know, you, you brought up your mom's story again, and it's a really tragic story. How how did that influence you and in, in your career choice going into this? You know, I can't say for sure if it actually caused me to go into conservation law enforcement. I know it's it did have a significant impact on me relative to how I handled firearms from that point on mm-hmm. and how I treated firearms and the, re, the respect that I gained of firearms after that incident. I know that it has impacted me my whole career because I don't teach a single class where I'm not thinking about that incident right? and looking at all those young faces and even adults and saying, I hope that I can at least get to one of you to understand the seriousness of handling a firearm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's real. Well, actually I want to get to all of them. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? I want to impact and make sure that they all understand that one little mistake can take someone's life. Yeah. Well, that brings up another question. What age do you recommend that parents enroll their kids in, in hunter's education? Obviously, there's an age. You can't take hunter education until you're nine years old. Right? Okay, so there's a minimum. Right. But individual firearm safety and firearms awareness can be started. You can start teaching that at any point. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a firearms owner or you have firearms in your house and you're a hunter, your your child's going to start seeing that yeah. as soon as they can walk. Mm-hmm. So those basic firearms skills... In the, in the Hunter Ed program, it's the Ten Commandments. There's ten things that we go through, but really there's three to four key safety rules that you should always apply. And we always go back to the first one of treat them all as if they're loaded. But so nine, they can take Hunter Ed. They can't hunt until they're ten. Mm-hmm. And so you can't put your kid into a Hunter Ed class before they're nine. So so do you, do you recommend, because you're recommending that even if you're not a hunter, even if you're not a firearm owner, that you still give your your children the awareness through that class. And I mean, let's face it, you're going to live in Idaho, you're going to live in the West, they're going to have friends who parent, whose parents have firearms, even if you choose not to. Correct. It's just very likely. So with that said, if that's the case, do you recommend that the parent enroll their child in that class as soon as they turn nine? Or is there a better age where they absorb it better, where they, they learn the lessons better? Or is that age of nine there for a reason? It's nine. It's there for a reason because it's state law currently. <laughs> right. But I think it's very, I think it's situational. Okay. Parents know their kids best. And sure. I think they are probably going to be the most aware of when they really need to increase their awareness of firearms. So it's situational. So I mentioned, you know, the commentary driving. But actually, with children, that's a very common recommendation from pediatricians and doctors and anyone who's raising children is to use that commentary technique because your child's always listening. And so, and and they teach you to do that with everything, not just handling of firearms. Mm -hmm. If you're talking yourself through something and your child is there next to you, they're going to understand what you're doing much better than you just simply doing it. Obviously they can watch you and they're pretty smart and they can pick up on it. But Mm -hmm. if you add the verbal communication with that, 
you know, I think they learn a lot quicker and sure. a lot better. And so before they're nine, anytime you pick up a firearm and you're with children, if you're talking yourself through that, mm-hmm. you know, repetition insists perfection. Mm-hmm. You, that's where the more times you do it, the better you are at it. And so if you're picking up a firearm and saying, okay, I'm, this is the muzzle, this is the end of the firearm, this is where the bullet comes out, this is the thing that we need to be most aware of, this is the muzzle, and I'm going to never point that at anything that I'm not willing to destroy. This, that's why I'm pointing it down at the ground right mm-hmm. now. And out, So you just talk through that. Kids will learn quicker. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds very clear when you describe it like that. If you're conducting a behavior, really good chance your kids will replicate your behavior. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking through it, then there's a really good chance they'll understand why you're handling it in that method. And they'll, they'll understand the reason behind it better. Absolutely. Okay. Now, two questions about taking your kids out. And I know I'm focusing on kids, but really for the adults, the muzzle control, Mm -hmm. treating every gun like it's loaded, hopefully solves most of the problems with firearm safety. With your kids, the first time you take them out shooting, Mm -hmm. do you recommend that mom and dad are shooting too, or that mom and dad take the day off and they just really concentrate on focusing on their son or their daughter when they're doing their first shooting? Obviously, when you're talking about handling a deadly weapon, the more things going on, the more dangerous it is. Sure. So I, I recommend focusing on your children and not actually shooting. So with my son, just for an example, mm-hmm. I took him with me several occasions where he did not touch or, or do anything. He simply watched. Mm-hmm. Now, a caution for everyone out there, our kids' ears are very sensitive, so they need to be protected, double protection, earplugs inside the ears and earmuffs over the ears. I've seen many kids who experienced firearms for the first time and literally didn't want to have anything to do with them again just mm-hmm. because they were so loud and it, it just scared them. So need to be aware of that, first of all. And then just my, the way I experienced it was to have Chase watch me shoot for a few times before I actually put a, a firearm in his hand. And then I did not shoot. Then it was simply... He's going to be handling the firearm, right. and I'm going to be watching. So again, deadly weapon can kill people. So the more things going on in that experience, the more likely something could go wrong. So no, I think that's a good point. Okay. Well, and then progress from that point forward. How about the first time that your son or daughter goes out hunting? Should parents be actively engaged in the hunting as well, or should they say, I'm not hunting today, you're hunting, and I'm here to help you? Right. Yeah, I think that's going to be situational. I So state law requires a licensed adult to be with kids who are 10 and 11 years old. Mm-hmm. So a 10-year-old cannot go out on his own with a firearm. A 12-year-old can. So once you've turned 12, they could go shoot unprotected animals, you know, ground squirrels on their own. Mm-hmm. But so again, I think that's situational. I've taught Hunter Ed a lot of years. Some older individuals are still not that familiar with the firearm and the firearm is so heavy they can't really hold it and it's mm-hmm. just, they're just not ready yet. And then some, right at age nine, they can shoot skeet very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've been mentored by their parents already or they're just stronger and more capable. Mm-hmm. So I get it's individual. So I don't know if I answered your question well, or I get, not. So. I, yeah, I guess what I'm asking is, let's say it's opening day of dove season. So mm-hmm. it's September 1st. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be 
your son's first year hunting dove. And so you're going out and it's opening day and you're going to be hunting dove. For this first time that your son, your daughter, whoever has ever hunted, do you suggest that you're both out there shooting at dove or does mom or dad leave the leave the shotgun and the pickup that day and just be with their son mm-hmm. or their daughter and kind of mentor and show them how to hunt and and then and watch them and help them maintain that safety with the firearm when the stress and the excitement of actually hunting a live animal enters into the the equation. Well, so I think that's a good recommendation. I do think it would probably be different from person to person. I did that very thing, took my son dove hunting, and I did not carry a firearm. I put the firearm in his hand because I didn't want distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, I personally wanted to be the person who's the most aware in that situation. But I... So it goes both ways, you know. It kind of disappointed my son because I wasn't out there enjoying the hunt as, as well. So he's like, gee, Dad, I, I, you know, why, why don't you carry a gun? We should both be doing this. So, mm-hmm. so you know, you, I could see a little bit of disappointment in his eyes that I wasn't participating in, in something that I've enjoyed my whole life. But I think he understood. It's like, because I explained it to him, you know, Chase, I, I want to make sure that we're doing this safe. I want to make sure that you're aware and that you handle the firearms safely and I don't want to be taking that shot. I want you to have that shot. I want this to be your experience, but I want to experience it with you. I can do that without having a firearm and without killing a dove. Right, right. Greg, let's take another break, and then I want to shift over to adults for a second. Mm -hmm. Are you a new or current cat owner looking for a solution to the litter box that will keep everyone in the house happy? Purina Tidy Cats knows how to keep all those feline bathroom habits in a neat and tidy box with a wide range of litter options available at D&B Supply. And because all cats have a unique personality, some more than just one, Tidy Cat offers scoopable, non-clumping litter choices to make them all happy. Tidy Cats is quick and easy to clean. It's even easy on the nose. When you need the full scoop for your feline furballs, stop on by your favorite DNB supply and pick up a bag or bucket of tidy cats. Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the Industrial Revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the workday, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite D&B Supply. My first question about adults and firearm safety when they're hunting is, what do you see? What should adults know about firearm safety that they may have forgotten, gotten complacent with over the years or things like that? So in my experience and on some of the public ranges that I've been on, I think there are many people out there who are totally unaware of those four fundamental firearm safety rules. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They do not treat firearms as if they're loaded, all of them. And so I've seen some very dangerous things, so dangerous that I've left the range. (laughs) Okay. And some teenage kids out there with a semiotic rifle and the muzzles going all over the place. And there's a lack of seriousness Mm -hmm. with the handling of the firearm. And it seems like it's more of a game and they're treating it more as a toy than than they are treating it as a deadly weapon. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually physically just packed up and said, I can't stay here. Now, as an adult, I feel obligated to go over there and say, hey, look, you guys are mishandling this firearm. I've only done that once, but to be honest, on the ranges, I've only had one experience where it was so bad that I left, but... That's not received very well from someone who's not their parent 
right. or someone, an adult that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, maybe it made me feel better that I that I said, hey, you know, you guys are not being very safe here, but it didn't seem to have that much of an impact. So accidents that I'm aware of, I can't think of any that could not have been prevented if they would have just followed those four rules of firearm Mm -hmm. safety, treating every weapon as if it's loaded, you know, not pointing the muzzle at anything that you're not willing to destroy, keeping your finger off of the trigger. If they would just follow those three, Mm -hmm. I can't think of any of the accidents that I'm aware of that could not have been prevented. Sure. No, I think you're right. Yeah, and and so when it comes to adults and and the things that you read about and you study, and I I assume as you continue to learn, so you can teach and and teach about the most recent events. What is the most, if there is one, the most common type of accident that you see with firearms? Is it like an accidental? I guess they're all an accidental discharge. But what I mean is accidental in the sense like your friend in the military mm-hmm. where somebody was jumping over a creek, or is it? The lack of muzzle control, or it's probably a combination of, of all three of those rules, I suppose. Well, it is, but if there was one that I would point out, it would be the unloaded weapon. Okay. Everybody, you know, rounds go off at people's houses, and the first thing they say, well, I unloaded it. I uh, thought it was unloaded. Didn't you unload it? No, I didn't unload I thought you unloaded it. You can avoid that circumstance by going back to rule number one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Treat them all as if they're loaded. Mm-hmm. Because I've experienced injuries, well, no deaths to, that I've personally experienced, mm-hmm. but serious injuries because they thought it was unloaded. So just get that one out of your mind <laughs> okay. and, and tell your kids to never, there's no such thing as an unloaded weapon. If it's a real firearm, you got to treat it as if it's loaded. Some of the, I'm trying to think of some of the personal experiences I've had, I can think of several where the they were trying to get the firearm out of the vehicle, so they're... They've gone hunting, they've mm-hmm. stopped, and now they're getting the firearm out of the vehicle and it's gone off. Well, they have violated some of the other rules to get right. to that point. So it's loaded. So it's not against the law to have a loaded firearm in your vehicle. You can do that. Mm-hmm. It's not recommended. But folks do travel with a loaded firearm in their vehicle. And muzzle control, when you're removing a firearm from a vehicle, is difficult. Mm-hmm. There's only two doors in the vehicle. If there's two people, you know, there's there's one on the other side of the vehicle. Right. So as you take the firearm out, unless you're being extremely careful, that muzzle's going to probably point out that other door at some point. Mm-hmm. And so those that's that's one for sure of getting the weapon out of the vehicle where it is discharged. Holes in the transmission, hole, windshields shot out, hole through the door, the passenger door. All those are just accidents. Right. And if you're not pointing at something you're not willing to destroy, you're going to damage something or the bullet's going to go somewhere, but hopefully not into somebody. Yeah. Well, that brings up a question. Do you know of any incidents where somebody was obeying those rules? So the muzzle was pointed in a safe direction. There was some sort of accidental discharge, but because they were obeying those rules, nobody was injured. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Many times, even from experienced shooters, police officers, uh, on the range. And so, yes. And that's the key behind never point that thing at anything that you're not willing to destroy. Because mm-hmm. if something does happen and that firearm does discharge, it'll go where you're pointing it, which is in a safe direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's my answer too. I've seen plenty of accidental discharges over a 15-year career 
when you're around guns that much, mm-hmm. occasionally that is going to happen. So you got to be following all the rules. So if and when it does, right. um, it's not catastrophic. Okay. Storage of firearms. Mm-hmm. So you come home from hunting, you have kids, your kids come home, they've been hunting with you, they've had their own rifle or shotgun out. How do you recommend storing the firearms in the house? Well, so they should be stored in two separate locations. Keep the ammunition away from the firearm. And lots of different philosophies out there, but the best philosophy from my perspective is that the firearm's locked up. So I've got a safe in my house and all of my firearms are locked in that safe. Okay. And then my ammunition is in, in another location stored separately. So if my safe happened to be open and my son had a friend over mm-hmm. and that friend was not familiar with firearms, he would not be able to put any ammunition into a firearm if by some weird reason that safe got opened and you know a firearm got in his hand. So, okay. But pretty confident that's not going to happen. My kids know that they shouldn't be handling firearms unless an adult is around. Mm-hmm. And, but you know what I mean? Kids, kids are kids. It's kids are kids and things happen. Okay. Well, I, we've gotten through all my questions, but mm-hmm. what have I not asked you? What is it important? What do you teach that I haven't asked you about that, that the public needs to know so they can be safe with firearms? Well, I, I think awareness to me, I think I mentioned in the beginning a lot, many accidents occurred by operator error. So it's what you're doing with that vehicle. You know, we're experiencing an increase in vehicle crashes because kids are texting mm-hmm. or using their smartphones. That's operator error. You, you, If you're on a vehicle, you shouldn't be trying to operate a phone. <laughs> right. You should be trying to operate the vehicle. Right. And so they can, those same types of distractions can occur with firearms. And so I think that's a good point. And I, when I see individuals trying to do something else with a firearm in their hand, mm-hmm. then they lose focus of where the muzzle is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one critical place where adults, kids, anybody handling a fire can become complacent. Because if you unload your rounds onto the ground mm-hmm. and then keep that weapon in your hand and then reach down and start picking up the rounds, most people are completely unaware right. of where the muzzle's pointed. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's kind of what I'm describing in distractions. When you start doing something else, your mind's focused on something else other than where that muzzle's going, mm-hmm. you're unaware of where it's pointed and it can be inadvertently pointed in the wrong direction. Well, that brings up an interesting point because now there's a lot of new technology out, like, for example, video cameras and scopes. People who want to video what they're shooting at downrange. Do you see this new technology and and even more things going on with the weapon causing these types of distractions? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, there definitely is an increase in technology, and that's something that we are aware of. You can't hunt big game animals with anything that's electronic Mm -hmm. attached to your firearm. Um, Right. But that's not a safety issue as much as it is a fair chase mm-hmm. issue. To me, smartphones are just like in a vehicle could become an issue at a range if you're focused on texting somebody while you're ha- while you've got a pistol in your hand or mm-hmm. a rifle in your hand. Right. So it's just it's a distraction. Well, and then thinking along these same lines with with trends and firearms and shooting, a lot of the long range shooting people are getting into shooting really long distances now and things like that. And I know that. And hunters always talk about taking a safe shot 
and knowing what's downrange and, and having a good backstop and things like that. Mm-hmm. What recommendations do you have for people when it comes to shot placement and knowing what, what is beyond your target when you're shooting? Right. So that's really what the fourth rule is, is be aware of your target and what lies beyond your target. So you got to know what you're shooting at. You can't suspect or think that's what you're shooting at because it may not be. And not only the target, but you got to be really aware of the backstop and what is behind it. Uh, so if the deer is standing in the skyline, if you're not totally aware of what's on the other side of the hill, you shouldn't shoot because you don't know where that bullet's going to go. On the other side of the hill could be a subdivision. Yeah, that's right. Or a ranch or cattle or all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. that's one of the rules. Be aware of your target and what lies behind your target. What is what is your backstop? The long-range shooting, that's just a, that's a whole other issue. You should be willing to go check everything that you shoot at to see if you hit it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're shooting 1,000 yards and it's going to take you four hours to get there, you're a lot less likely to make that hike if the animal runs over the hill and doesn't look like it was hit. Right. But at that distance, they could be fatally wounded and die just over the hillside and you wouldn't mm-hmm. even know it. So that so that's a fair chase issue and it's it's not something that we have considered addressing. It hasn't risen to a level that we think is causing too many animals to be left or you know injured mm-hmm. uh, and die of wounding loss. So... I don't know. It could be, but I mean, that's, that's a whole nother issue outside of safety handling firearms. All right. Well, is there anything else that I've forgotten to ask you about that we definitely want to let the listening audience know? Well, I think I could go on and on, but I think (laughs) we covered some good things. Yeah. So keep the message short. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, Greg, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you so much for not just sharing all this great information, but sharing your personal story too, to really bring it home. Hey, my pleasure. Well, everyone, that's the end of our first interview uh, with Greg Wooten from the Idaho Fish and Game Department. And now we're going to jump into our second interview with Greg Oster, lieutenant with the Boise Police Department here in Idaho. And I'll tell you, this is a long show or a long podcast, but, you know, how can you talk too much about this? I mean, it's all very interesting and it's all very important. And so we're bringing it all to you on the podcast version. And that's why if you came over from the radio side, we always talk about the bonus content we've got here for you because this is definite bonus content. And uh, I just don't want to cut any of it out. So much of it is important. So much of it is uh, really relevant. And if you're a gun owner, gun enthusiast, um, or like Greg Wooten was saying, if you've got somebody, uh, you know, a child in your life who's going over to friends' houses or something like that, even if you don't own guns, there's a good chance they're going to be in a house where guns are present This is all just very, very important. So uh, let's jump into this next interview with Greg Oster, and we'll talk about the personal defense side of gun safety. Well, joining me now is Lieutenant Greg Oster, who is in charge of the training division at the Boise Police Department. And in full disclosure, I worked with Greg for 12 years, and he did a lot of training with me, maybe extra training with me because I needed it when I was at the Boise Police Department. But we're going to kind of shift gears now and talk about firearms that you may keep or practice with that you keep in the home for non-hunting purposes. So, Greg, thank you very much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, you are a well-known and very well-respected trainer in law enforcement, not just in Boise and not just in Idaho. So really our pleasure to be able to have you on and kind of tap into your expertise. And really, uh, I thought when we were going to do this episode all about firearm safety that we wouldn't want to neglect 
the fact that so many people in Idaho and Eastern Oregon and our listening audience all over the United States do own and possess firearms for purposes other than hunting. And I thought of nobody better to talk to about that than you. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'll try to keep up my end of the bargain. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds good. Well, you know, I, the way I'd like to start, Greg, if we could, is you've been in law enforcement for how long now? How many years? 33 years. Wow. Long time. <laughs> 33 years. Okay. And I knew that. But the reason I asked that is because it illustrates the fact that you have been living on a daily basis with firearms for at least 33 years, probably longer than that. But for, for the course of your career, every day you're in possession of a firearm going to work, coming home from work. And so I kind of wanted to start off by asking you about your routine. When you walk in the house after a day's work has ended and you have a firearm with you, what is your routine to make sure that that firearm is safe and none of the kids or anything like that ever had access to it? Well, Matt, I'm going to add one more part of it. As you know, my wife is also a retired police officer. Right. She served 26 years. And so our dynamic is a little bit different than a lot of people because both of us carried firearms daily for our work. I am a pretty strong supporter of the Second Amendment, as as you know, and most of my clients and people that know me know. Mm -hmm. And so I carry a gun with me concealed a lot. The question comes up, how do again, how do I store this? What do I do? What is my daily routine? Now, for my wife, when she would work the normal shift, which was usually, you know, 6 a.m. to 3 or 4 in the afternoon, her thing was... We still had kids at home. We still have neighbor kids that come over to the house. We still have our kids' friends coming over to the house. So she wanted a way of securing her gun once she walked in the door. And so we actually bought a gun safe, a small gun safe, and she would come in, you know, through the garage in the our hallway closet is where this gun safe is, and that's where she would secure both her regular carried gun and then if she was carrying a backup that day, that's where her backup would go. So she didn't have to worry about that at all. Other ways you can secure your, your firearms is if you have a hall closet, put a door lock on it. So that way that can be locked up if, you again, you don't want to get a, a gun safe. Because, again, when we're talking about safety and security, it's not just for us. It's for all of our visitors, our kids' friends, you know, and our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was pretty lucky because, just like with you, my kids have been raised around guns, and so I really wasn't concerned about about, about my kids because they know how to handle guns safely. They know how to load them, unload them, manipulate them, etc. So, again, I'm backtracking just a little bit. So that was my wife's typical day. She'd get off duty. She'd come home, she'd lock up her guns in the gun safe in the hallway, and then she was secure for the day. I, on the other hand, would typically work uh, some sort of swing shift. And so for me, I keep my gun in the holster, whether it be my duty gear uh, or you know, a plain clothes type of uh, uh, holster. And then when I would get home, I actually had in our closet another safe where I would keep my gun in our bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so then people go, well, what about uh, in the night? You know, do you keep a gun, you know, next to your bed, you know, on your nightstand or whatever? And I go, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with that because, again, when you have little kids, how many times do they wake up in the middle of the night and they're having a nightmare? Mm -hmm. And if you have a loaded gun right next to your nightstand and you're woken up by this, what is your first reaction going to be? You're startled. 
you reach for that gun, I just see a lot of bad things happening. So what we did is we actually put a door lock going from our kids' bedrooms, basically, in our hallway, into our master bedroom. So that way, if they needed to get in, they could knock on the door, they could pound on the door, whatever, and it would not be that startled response with somebody sitting right in front of me, which gave us just a little bit more time to wake up and actually get hold of a firearm if that's what I needed to do. I also, if I kept the gun next to me on the nightstand, I would keep slide lock open, okay, so the slide's open, Mm -hmm. and then have a live magazine next to it. So the sound of, again, as you know, grabbing that gun, inserting a magazine, racking that slide, which takes you all of, what, you know, a second and a half, Mm -hmm. even that sound, if that was a burglar or somebody trying to come, come in and do my family or myself harm, what do they now know? Right. We, I am prepared to go go and take care of business if I need to. I'm here to defend my family. So that's just a couple different you know things. And again, I'm I'm expanding on the topic a little bit, but that's pretty much the way that we would run our guns. The big thing is, and I've told my officers for years, get into a pattern. You know, remember where you keep your gun. Keep it in the same location every time you take it off. Okay. Where we run into sometimes problems is you come home and you get out of that pattern and you put your you know gun on the counter, unsecured, and then all of a sudden you get distracted and you're out doing yard work or whatever and your kids come in with their friends and guess what? There's a gun and they're curious about it. And we don't want to have those accidents. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can personally attest to that, that I... I work on routines very well, and if I get out of my routine, it kind of throws everything off. And for me to come in the house and put my gun away was something that was very routinized for me. And there were times where I slipped up on that, and one thing or another threw me off my routine, and I actually did leave a gun on the countertop that my wife found or something like that. And and always just a horrible moment when you realize you've done that. Yes, and, you know, the, that's what we don't want to have. And, you know, for me, I, I, we joke about, you know, waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning going, oh, my gosh, I did something wrong. What, what did I do? <laughs> right. And, you know, it could be that you left a rifle in your car and it's outside of the garage or you forgot to, you know, close your garage door or maybe you forgot to lock your front door. And so those type of things. And right. we all have those moments because you were out of, out of that uh, routine. Again, I stress, you know, making sure your guns are secure, though. You know, if you don't have kids, you don't have little kids in the neighborhood, you don't have friends and family coming over, then maybe your environment is a little bit different. But, you know, we really need to be careful about our kids and our families because that's our priority. Right. Well, and I, I bring this up and I have you on not because police officers are infallible, but just because there's really nobody else in the country who lives with firearms on a more regular basis than police officers. So we've made all the mistakes and we've figured out how to overcome those. Yes. And unfortunately, we still make mistakes. And, you know, we we try to learn from those. And, you know, I've done some really stupid things, as you know, throughout my career. And hopefully I've learned from those and been able to continue on. And there's nothing worse than, you know, again, not having a secured firearm, knowing your kids around them or your neighbor kids or your kids' friends. And, you know, it just scares me. You know, locally we've had some negligent or accidental discharges involving, you know, police officers' kids and family members. Mm -hmm. And 
those things just break your heart because they are preventable. Right. Had we just paid a little bit more attention. But none of us are infallible. I mean, we're humans. Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's jump into talking about citizens who have decided to carry a firearm for personal defense and how they can be safe with that. Is your dog's true nature shining through, along with a shiny coat, too? Find out by filling up your pet's bowl with Purina One True Instinct dog food, available at D&B Supply. Purina One True Instinct gets back to nature and back to basics. Inspired by your dog's gut instinct to naturally choose nutrient-dense food, the expert nutritionists at Purina One developed a recipe that puts pure protein front and center. Let your dog's coat shine through by dishing out Purina One True Instinct dog food, available at your favorite d and Supply. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright, stop on by select D&B Supply stores for Powder River Livestock Handling equipment. Well, let's let's shift really quick and talk about the citizen who has decided that they do want to carry a firearm. Because certainly in Idaho and in Oregon, where our radio broadcasts are played and, and throughout the rest of the country, we have a number of listeners who at one time or another will choose to carry a firearm for one reason or another. So under those circumstances, what do you train, your, especially your new officers coming into the department who don't have experience with this, about carrying firearms concealed when they're when they're not working. So we go through a lot of training. Obviously, and with my agency, we take them through a 40-hour basic handgun course, learning how to manipulate their firearm, how to draw, how to holster safely, how to retain their firearm. Then we go through, you know, again, handgun retention training because at some point in your career, or even, you know, again, concealed weapons, uh, civilian carrying concealed weapon or open carry, there may be somebody that tries to take away your gun. And so we have a separate class for weapon retention. Then throughout their career, again, we do a quarterly firearms qualification. So four times a year, we're actually going up throughout an officer's career to work on those fundamental skills. We give our new officers a lot of tools, including how to do dry fire drills, so they're manipulating that weapon frequently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, 40 hours as is their basic class. And then throughout their basic academy, we add another 30 to 40 hours of firearms training throughout their basic training. So when an officer for Boise PD hits the streets, they have between 60 and 80 hours of fundamental handgun skills. On top of that, another four to eight hours of weapon retention skill sets. And then it's built upon throughout their career, no matter if it's a one-year officer or a 33-year-old you know, officer. Mm-hmm. So it's continued on throughout that. What I tell my civilian clients is make sure you are training. This is a huge responsibility if you decide that you are going to carry. You not only have to be understand the legal implications of it, because you know you can't shoot somebody simply for somebody trying to break in your house, because that's a property crime. It's nonviolent. You have to be able to articulate the, that this person is a threat to you or your family members or somebody else. 
who could cause you great serious bodily injury or death. Okay. Mm -hmm. Simply breaking in your door to grab your computer, you can't shoot somebody for that. And people sometimes don't quite understand that. You have to be able to articulate that necessity for using that force, that level of force. And every jurisdiction is a little bit different. We live in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a little bit more liberal than some of the other court, circuit courts. So we're a little bit our law is a little bit tighter than some others. Mm -hmm. Well, we also live in the state of Idaho that has a right to carry. So if you are 21 years of age, a resident of the state of Idaho, and you don't have some sort of issue that disqualifies you from owning or possessing a firearm, either under state or federal law, you can carry a concealed weapon without a permit. The problem that we run into is or the issue that I have is, what about training? Right. This is, again, a huge responsibility. So go find some competent training to guide you. You know, as a police officer, we understand that the laws get modified and changed two times a year after each legislative session under the state code. Well, the Ninth Circuit Court also, what their rulings are also affects us. So as a private citizen, you really have to pay attention to what's happening you know, within the state and the areas that you're going to go. I tell the story of myself and another officer go to Chicago for some police training. Well, in Chicago at the time, I actually, and we didn't know this, I actually could not possess a firearm without a permit, a carry permit issued by Cook County. So as a police officer, I assumed that I could carry in all 50 states because that's what the federal guidelines are. However, I found out that once I entered Cook County and the city of Chicago, I could not carry without a Cook County permit. And, you know, again, I didn't know. And I, I learned that really quick. So as a citizen, you need to make sure that where you're carrying, you can legally possess and carry that firearm, mm -hmm. whether open carry or concealed. Other things that you need to, to understand as far as a concealed carry or if you're carrying open is how to retain that firearm. In law enforcement, we have what's called a security holster. It has some sort of security latch or hook or mechanical device to secure that weapon in the holster. Because again, we do have people that try to take away our weapons. Well, as a concealed carry person or open carry, you may have that dynamic as well. So make sure that you have a good holster, that you have practiced if somebody, what you're going to do if somebody tries to come up and take that gun away from you, and what your actions are going to be. And people don't quite sometimes grasp that concept. So... I would encourage people to make sure that they get that kind of training. And there's lots of competent instructors out there. And again, there are also instructors who may, may not be as competent. Mm -hmm. So really, when you're looking for instruction, look and make sure that that is a competent person. Just because you agree with their philosophies may not make them competent, if that makes sense. No, I, I understand, and, and I think you're right about that. And, you know, you bring up a really good point, and I wanted to talk about open carry, and not from any perspective of being pro or con about open carry or anything like that, but what I've seen around the community when somebody is practicing open carry, 
just being former law enforcement, I've looked at their holsters and I've seen a lot of holsters that were not really that quality of construction and that didn't offer any good retention for that firearm. And I've watched the person and they seem to be going about their day just like they would be going about their day if they didn't have that firearm with them. And it made me reflect back on the training that you and many other people provided me in law enforcement, which was all uniformed police officers, they are conducting open carry. They've got a pistol that's out there and it's open and visible so everybody knows they have it. They've got the retention built into the holster level one, level two, or level one's no retention, I suppose, but level two or level three. And then they've got the training on weapon retention and they've got the situational awareness. So what are your suggestions, just keeping that in mind for citizens who want to practice open carry in terms of what they should be doing and and their mindset, what that should be when they go out in public and they have that firearm that could be taken away from them? So, and you're bringing up a great point. In law enforcement, we call it situational awareness. I I call it more of environmental awareness because your environment and, again, your situation is always changing. Whether you're just driving down the road and you end up in a road rage incident you know, where somebody cuts you off or something like that, or you're in the mall and a, and a shooting happens. Every situation is going to dictate a different response. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and talk about holsters. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the sad parts is I am a very strong believer in holsters. I've had the opportunity to help some people design holsters. And then I do a little bit of building on my own because I can't find sometimes the exact holster that I want to fit my environment and my needs. And so there's really good quality Kydex holsters out there. There are some good quality nylon type of holsters. There's some good quality leather holsters. The big thing when I see when I go to the big box stores, and you know, I'm not going to mention any names, and I watch somebody buy a $1,000 pistol. They just invested a $1,000 pistol, and then they go over and buy a $19 holster. Mm-hmm. Well, I have issues with that. You know, get a good quality holster to go along with that pistol. On the security side of things, you know, whether it has a thumb snap, something that secures it in that holster. The Kydex is really nice because it kind of snaps and locks it into the holster. And so really, if your holster was designed correctly, your draw stroke is going to basically release that gun. If you come in from a different angle, for example, somebody trying to take your gun away, the Kydex actually locks that gun into into that holster fairly well. It is not as good as, you know, like a level three double security holster, but at least it's better than nothing. The second part of that is there are times where you may want to draw your gun, but what if you want to reholster it? And so make sure if you're getting a holster that it has some sort of steel or some sort of material which doesn't let that holster collapse. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of nylon holsters, for example, and I'm just throwing the nylon stuff out, that collapse, and so I can't reholster. They're pretty good for drawing, but then when I try to reholster, it ends up being a two-handed operation. And what if I am trying to hold somebody back? Or, you know, for example, God forbid that I am with one of my kids at a, at a grocery store, for example, and a shooting happens, and I want to basically move them behind me because I don't want to get them shot. I, I, I'm going to take a bullet for my family. Mm-hmm. 
and I move them behind me, and I'm holding them with my off hand, and I'm drawing with my strong hand, and all of a sudden I need to reholster, and I may not be able to get that weak hand in position, or maybe it gets shot, maybe I'm wounded, and I need to reholster that gun for whatever reason. So making sure that that holster is a quality holster that I can both draw and reholster with one hand. Yep. On the training side of that, you know, make sure that you're training on that draw, that one hand draw, as well as reholstering with whatever you're wearing, especially if you're doing concealed carry. Open carry is just as important because if you're wearing shirts that are kind of have a lot of fabric in them, and you start to reholster, and all of a sudden that fabric gets caught in the holster, what are you going to do? How are you going to clear that holster so you can actually reholster? The same issues that a concealed carry citizen has, as same thing as a plain clothes officer has, is we have to make sure that gun or that clothing is swept away from that holster before I reholster making sure that when I'm drawing and reholstering that my finger is off the trigger, which again is one of those fundamental rules of firearm safety. You know, we keep our finger off the trigger until we're ready to destroy our target. Same thing on your draw and reholster. Recently, uh, I'm sure that some of you have Facebook or pay attention to some of the things out there on the on the web. And the last month, there were two negligent discharges in another county in Idaho where well, one of them, the person is reholstering a concealed carry gun, the finger was on the trigger, and the person shot themselves in the buttocks. The same thing with the second one where the uh, person is reholstering and some clothing or something got in the holster as a reholstering shot themselves in the leg. And luckily, both of them were not they were more superficial than anything else, but that could be a very serious injury. So making sure your finger's out of the trigger and that that holster, you understand how that holster works and you've practiced it dry fire before you go to the range and actually put bullets in that in that hole or in that gun. Okay. Um, and again, I'm covering a lot of material. Well, that's okay because you brought up a really good point and probably most of the general public doesn't realize when it comes to law enforcement just how much we actually practice reholstering because once the dynamics of a situation changes, we might still need to go hands-on with a person or something like that, but it no longer justifies the use of a firearm and we don't want that firearm in our hands if that situation arises. So we really practice that a lot. I say we as though I'm still doing it. I, that's an old habit. But but that still gets practiced quite a lot. But a civilian who's carrying a firearm could find themselves in a similar situation. And if, if they can't get that gun back into the holster, that's a problem. Yes. And there, I mean, I could go through scenario after scenario after scenario where both as a police officer but as a private citizen carrying a gun where I may want to reholster. Maybe a situation where I am a simple observer, I'm in a situation where maybe I draw my gun and I'm kind of holding it in a concealed position just to see how the situation evolves and then police officers are right there and maybe before the officers actually start to look around and see me with a gun in my hand, I want to reholster. So that way I'm not standing there while a police officer is confronting me mm-hmm. with a gun in my hand. It may be that I want to reholster, so that way I may not be perceived as a threat. 
And so in training, that's something that, you know, again, a, a competent instructor should be covering and talking about with you if you're going through a concealed weapons class or some sort of training class on concealed carry or even open carry, because I still have, you know, some of my clients who, you know, believe in the open carry philosophy, which is fine, but by the time they're done, usually they're like, yeah, maybe a concealed is a better option for me. So, you know, again, positive and negatives to both ways. Right. And, you know, again, that's something we, we can discuss later on if, if we need to. Yeah, right now, just dealing with the with the safety and the way to be safe, no matter which method yep. you're choosing. Well, I'll tell you what, Greg, yep. let's let's shift over to semi-automatic rifles for a moment. So with uh, Greg Wooten, we talked quite a bit about hunting rifles and shotguns and things like that. But the, the AR-15 platform has become so popular and so many people have those and they're considering those not just weapons for going out in recreation, but also for self-defense. What do you teach your officers who are carrying these weapons in a professional capacity about how to keep them safe and how to operate them and secure them safely? Well, again, let's start with the training side of it. Our department, when you are issued a patrol rifle or if you decide to carry your personal rifle on duty, uh, which we allow, you have to go through 24 hours of basic training. You've already had handgun training, so you know the fundamental skills, you know you know how, how to safely handle a weapon, et cetera, et cetera. But then we get into basically the manipulation and how to run that AR-15 platform. So we spend a lot of time on safe carrying and handling because even though you're now running a 16-inch barrel versus a you know 3.5 to 5-inch barrel on your pistol, you still need to be conscious of where you are pointing that gun keeping your finger off the trigger. Obviously, the controls on that AR-15 is, are a little bit different than your pistol, so we need to, we spend a lot of time, again, dry firing and practicing so that we understand how to manipulate that weapon, both coming up into a firing position as well as, you know, how to clear malfunctions, all sorts of different things as far as the training. So there's one thing I can tell all the listeners right now is train, train, train for that potential event and continue with that training. So with the AR-15 platform, we spend a lot of time on manipulation drills. Most of the time as a patrol officer, I would be out there just with my handgun, with my rifle in my vehicle secured. So the philosophy of, okay, I use my handgun in the initial fight trying to get to my rifle because a rifle is a better platform for most confrontations we get involved in. Uh, you know, let's be honest. It is more accurate. The ballistics are a little bit better for it, for stopping a threat. And so if I can get that you know, rifle into the fight, it's probably better for me. The same thing as a citizen for self-protection, the handgun is good for that three to seven yards, which is typical for the confrontations we're dealing with, whether it be in your home or, you know, again, self-defense type of environment. People ask me, what about rifle for home defense? Well, a lot of that has to do with how your house is set up and what kind of shot do you really think in your environment that you may have to make. So you really have to look at the the quality of your manufacture of the firearm. Does it work? You know, have you shot the ammunition that you're going to be using? 
before curing, have you shot that ammo through your gun to make sure it feeds properly? So there's a lot of things that you have to think about prior to just going and grabbing a AR-15 off the rack at a, at a you know again a local store, grabbing a box of rounds and saying, hey, this is my home defense gun. Mm-hmm. You have to think about the quality or how your uh, house is made. For example, if you're running a full metal jacket, which again most of your viewers or listeners will know what that is, in an AR-15, you know it's going to go through, punch through a sheet of sheetrock, for example, which is most of our construction in our homes, and then it'll start to tumble after that first sheet. It will not be effective as effective through the second sheet of sheetrock, but it will probably penetrate that, and then all of a sudden it's tumbling, and we don't know where that round is actually going to end up. Versus a hollow point with the 223 or the 556 round, it's going to go through this first sheet of sheetrock and typically start to expand and sometimes will not, depending on the quality and you know, a lot of different things with the round, it may not go through that second sheet of sheetrock. So there's a lot of things to look at and think about when we go to the AR-15. The big thing is making sure you know how to safely operate and manipulate that weapon, and that comes with training. Big things for the listeners is to understand that all of a sudden, if you are confronted with something and you're using that weapon in a self-defense mode, you're going to have what's called a sympathetic nervous system reaction, meaning you're going to have that fight-or-flight response. You're going to have a lot of natural chemicals all of a sudden dumped into your system, and things are going to be a little bit different than going to the range and shooting you know, uh, paper targets. This dynamic situation is going to change a lot of things physiologically in your body and in your brain, and you may not be be able to manipulate the weapon like you would out of the range. So you have to be able to train. You have to be training so the neural synapse going through your body has been pre-programmed for running that gun effectively. And I know, again, I've kind of gone off the track a little bit, but the AR-15 is a great platform. Just know and do your research and understand what environment you're actually going to be using that for self-defense and making sure that's the right tool for you. If I was setting up an AR-15 in my house, for example, for self-defense, just like with my handgun, I would keep the magazine out. I would lock the bolt back. And so when I decide to deploy that, I'm grabbing the AR-15, I'm inserting that magazine, hitting the release so that 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 suspect or that person who's in my house can actually hear me loading that weapon. Because that's what, again, what is it telling that suspect or that person? I am ready and I'm capable of defending myself, which may be a deterrent so then I don't have to shoot somebody for my Mm self-defense. Absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I I knew this would be great. I knew you would have tons of great information, and you certainly did not disappoint. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing all this today. You're welcome. Hopefully I I educated some folks, and hopefully you get some thought process going about how to get some training, some further training, both on your own as well as maybe through a competent instructor. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. Breckwald.